What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Planet Philadelphia. I'm Kay Wood, the host. Linda Rosenwine, our assistant producer reporter, is here with me on this call. Linda and I saw a very interesting article titled, The Shutdown of Luxury Emissions Should Be at the Center of Climate Revolt by Charles Kamenoff and Christopher Ketchum. And we're lucky that Charles Kamenoff is speaking with us today. Hi there. Thank you so much for talking with us. Hi, Kay. Thanks for having me. Hi, Linda. Hi. Before we get into the topic of your article, could you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I've been um, involved in environmental um, analysis, advocacy, and activism for just about all of my adult life. I practice ecological principles or try to um, in my own life. I travel almost exclusively by bicycle. I try to be aware of you know, my impact on the environment. I'm also a mathematician and a quantifier. So I, I, I'm very involved in quantifying things. And I also believe passionately in the principle of internalizing the uh, societal or externality costs of consumption or other activities. I'm really uh, on board with pollution taxes, I co-founded and run a small not-for-profit called the Carbon Tax Center. Uh, I'm an, a leading figure in New York City's attempt to implement congestion pricing uh, to charge drivers to um, enter the most congested and transit-rich part of New York City, the Manhattan Central Business District. Um, but I also believe in direct action. And um, I've participated and organized direct action campaigns at various times in my life. Um, and so that is part of why the uh, Shiphole uh, Airport action from uh, November 5th of last year resonated so deeply with me. Tell us what the Shiphole action was. Well, shiphole, um, strange sounding word, isn't it, um, is um, the airport in the Netherlands. I think it's like the third largest airport in terms of passenger boardings um, in, um, in Europe. Um, and on uh, Saturday, November 5th, some um, 1,500 activists descended upon um, Shiphole Airport, and about half of them, um, 700, um, were able to invade the tarmac, not the main place where the big commercial flights land and take off, but the place reserved for uh, private aviation, private jet flights that are the province of the rich and the super rich, and the self-indulgent, um, you know, who are wealthy um, and ecologically unheeding enough to use private planes. Um, and they shut down for an entire day all private jet 
takeoffs and landings. Um, most of them were on foot. Some of them were on bicycles that they were able to get either over the fence or through um, holes in the fence that they uh, punched. And um, so 700 of them on the tarmac and another 800 at the terminal itself with banners um, and sit-ins um, supporting the action and publicizing the action to the world. Um, and as Christopher and I wrote, we regarded this as a perfect kind of uh, ecological protest, much more sound than what has been kind of going on in, um, you know, climate direct action circles, whether it's, you know, symbolically damaging or gluing oneself to artworks in museums or fighting banks that are uh, financing uh, fossil fuels or even protesting um, fossil fuel supply infrastructure. For various reasons that we talked about in the article, we don't see those as very effective. What needs to happen is targeting consumption, targeting demand, and especially luxury consumption, luxury demand, what we call luxury carbon. And the Netherlands uh, protesters did that. Yeah, I mean, for us, I think it was really interesting to consider examining tactics for the changing behavior regarding climate change. And why did you feel that that was so important? Our analysis, that's, uh, again, me and my co-author of the Intercept article, Christopher Ketchum, um, we come from a premise that it is the demand or the usage or consumption of goods and services, energy and fossil fuels that drives the whole carbon emissions problem that um, rather than going after, you know, the average Joe or Jane, we've got to target luxury consumption because that is what is most easily replaced. Uh, it's most easily opposed and it uh, needs to be made an example of. Um, and, and then there's the further fact that it's luxury consumption that stimulates uh, the base desires for uh, excessive, unnecessary use of materials and energy and fossil fuels that is ultimately driving the climate crisis. When you're talking about the direct action, you're talking about nonviolent direct Absolutely. action. Um, okay. it, it, it's got to be from a, both a moral and a pragmatic standpoint. Okay. And in this article, uh, Chris Ketchum and I wanted to celebrate what we thought was this absolutely perfect climate action that was nonviolent, that was focused, uh, that was uh, balletic, if that's the right word, in counterposing the running and the standing and the bicycling of human bodies against these awful spewing and polluting private jets. Um, so, you know, we don't know where it will lead. And one doesn't ever really know where direct action, you know, nonviolent protest leads. Um, what we want to do and what we think the Shiphole Netherlands activists did was attract 
positive attention and inspire um, and get people to think and re-examine. And whether it's the rich doing that themselves or probably more importantly, large numbers of everyday people uh, thinking, well, we don't want to participate in that kind of consumptive culture. And in fact, we want to tax the living hell out of it. You know, who knows exactly how actions shape uh, consciousness and move politics and allow policy. You know, you never know. You've just got to get out there and do it. If you are addressing luxury uh, consumption, you're not asking for a total change of the economy or of the lifestyles of most people. So in that sense, it may be easier to bring about that change than some of the other things like a whole infrastructure change or changing how all our energy is produced, let alone the time it takes for some of those latter things. I, I totally agree. And, but also, and I'm sure you would agree, those other things have to happen a- as well, so that we've got to be moving away on the supply side from the fossil fuels to the renewable, clean, green energy. But you know, if we only do that, it is going to take too long. It is going to be too slow. It is going to be too roundabout, especially because the green energy economy has its own ecological issues and drawbacks. So we've got to be working from both sides at once. So when we started this interview, you mentioned that you thought this particular protest at the the airport stopping the luxury planes from taking off was a perfect target and, and executed beautifully. But why did you think this sort of direct action is more effective than people standing up at stockholder meetings and protesting there? Standing up at Exxon meetings or getting, uh, you know, my alma mater, Harvard University, to uh, divest from fossil fuels, you know, I mean, whatever that means, I guess it means getting Exxon or Chevron out of their portfolio. But is General Motors out of the portfolio? Is Toyota out of the portfolio? Is Walmart? You know, it's very selective. And I don't see it making a difference in terms of how anything is structured in our society. I mean, for a while, the divestment movement was good at building solidarity and organizing and mobilizing people. And it's always good to get a win because then you inspire people to fight and get another win and another. But what makes Exxon a behemoth and what enables Exxon to distort our politics and ruin our discourse and go all over the earth and pull the oil out of the ground and refine it and put it in gas stations so it ends up in people's gasoline tanks is the demand from hundreds of millions of people driving hundreds of millions of cars. Now, I can't sit here uh, and tell you that I have the immediate solution to that, although electrification will help and carbon pricing would help and bicycling would help and compact cities would help and anti-housing NIMBYs getting out of the way so that we can densify our cities so people don't have to drive 50 miles a day to get to wherever they have to go. You know, all those things will help. 
Um, but um, what is so great about the action in the Netherlands is that it shines a spotlight on the super rich who not only consume an outsized share of the world's resources and spew an outsized share of the world's carbon, but who create channels of desire that distort and drive people's behavior and values and politics and consumption. And somebody's got to be targeting that. And the protesters at Schiphol Airport did that. These rich luxury items are so glamorous. That's what people think. So how do we get people to stop seeing them as things to crave? Probably the best way to do that, of course, would be to reduce economic inequality to tax the hell out of the rich, not just their income, but their wealth, as Piketty and all of his associates have been showing us, you know, with their their analyses showing that when you when you total up all the taxes that people pay, including sales, real estate, excise taxes, et cetera, and not just income taxes, that you know the average person is paying as high a share of her income and uh, and wealth as the billionaires. And it might just be that going after luxury emissions and luxury carbon and the habits and the idiocies of the 1%, if you will, will help us in the political realm to actually be able to raise taxes more and more simply back to the level that they were in the Eisenhower years in the 50s, so that what are now the super rich won't even be able to as easily afford their profligacy and their luxury carbon spewing. So you've talked about some other ways to decrease luxury consumption. What other kinds of protests against luxuries would you, have you thought about that, what they might be? The obvious target in my city of New York is helicopters, which are used for luxury commuting and luxury tourist flights to be able to, you know, see the wonders of New York City from 2,000 feet in the air. And there are like tens of thousands of New Yorkers who are just fed up with the noise, let alone the the smoke and the hydrocarbon spewing. Um, you know, and in some ways, the climate impact is a little bit down on on the list. But we've got to find ways to organize people to be sitting in at the heliports in Manhattan to stop that. You know, one thing that we saw from this ship hole action, it really takes a lot of people meeting, gaining solidarity, uh, developing mutual trust and organizing this is not something that you just do on the spur of the moment because you think it might you know it might be a good idea i mean we talked about demand uh, another way to reduce demand is energy efficiency so what are your thoughts about that you're getting you know very close to my heart um i can't easily articulate what it feels like to me as somebody who, you know, for 50 years has been preaching and working on energy efficiency to know that I'm able to navigate every street in the city. I mean, I just go everywhere in all five boroughs, anywhere that I have to go, I'm on a bicycle. And I can do that on a 25 pound 
machine that others feel they require a 5,000 ton vehicle to do. So that's uh, bicycling is really an apotheosis of energy efficiency. Um, but also, you know, in lighting and heating and cooling and all those home appliances, there are groups, you're probably familiar with them, uh, NGOs that have laid the groundwork, engineering, economic, regulatory, policy-wise, that have led to this wonderful situation where refrigerators and air conditioners in that are bought now in the United States are three to four times as efficient as the models that we were buying in the you know 50s, 60s, and 70s. That's why energy efficiency is why total U.S. electricity consumption and all the emissions that go with it has been flat for almost two decades, hmm. which is astounding because for the entire 20th century, U.S. electricity consumption was practically doubling every decade, which means it was, you know, literally going up by a hundredfold over a period of, you know, five, six or, or seven decades. We've kind of stopped that. And that is an unsung win for environmental advocates. It's an energy efficiency win that is reaping benefits for the climate. Um, it's not enough, you know, no single thing is enough, but that is a fantastic achievement that we should be savoring. When we started this, we were talking about direct action and the strategies of doing that and the reasons for doing that. And people lead incredibly busy lives. What do you say to people who say, well, you know, I'd love to be there, but I just can't. Because there's some smaller thing people could do. You know, everybody can vote. Um, you know, I'm not going to uh, preach what people can and should do, you know, in their own individual lives for precisely the reason uh, that you just stated, Kay. You know, most people or the average person in this country is working too many hours for too little pay. And the rest of us have to be working on raising minimum wages, on making the tax structure completely, you know, turning it again, back to what it was only 60 or 70 years ago, where the rich paid much more than the middle did, and the middle paid much more than the poor did. Those things are going to go a long way. And maybe just to put it in terms of this carbon pricing, or carbon taxes, I know uh, tax is a tough word, you know, to sell. Um, but there are ways to make carbon taxes fair and equitable. But politically, what's standing in the way of, say, a national carbon tax isn't simply the fear that it might be regressive, because there are ways to turn that around and make it progressive. It's the feeling um, on the part of average people, why are they making me change when the rich can spew and consume at luxury profligate levels with absolutely no consequences. And that's why Ketchum and I, when we heard about that Schiphol protest in Europe, were so excited because it wasn't just going after something that isn't necessary, which is, you know, private aviation, but going after something that is the province of the wealthy. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. This was fun. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, 
go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Tone Radio programming by going to gtoneradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.